Mic check, one, two, one, two. Mic check, one, two, one, two. Mic check. Mic check. Mic check. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Mic check, one, two, one, two. It's a taste to consider podcast. I'm your host, Derek Silver, and I'm back. Yes, I'm back. Back for another episode. This, I believe, is episode eight, season two. Um, shoot, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, let me see. Uh, start with my drink and my smoke for tonight. Um, I'm going to be kind of sluggish tonight because I'm tired. I'm sleepy as hell. Um, I'm smoking a Cusano M1 cigar from the Dominican Republic. Cusano M1. And I am drinking a... I'm drinking uh, some Gentleman Jack. Gentleman Jack... uh, a brain of Jack Daniels. I know I said that I was gonna um have more black on alcohol and uh cigars, but I haven't gotten around to actually ordering anything yet. Um when I went into the liquor store today, I could have got another bottle of Uncle Nurse, but I wanted something different and I haven't had Gentleman Jack in a while and it was a good price for the fifth. So I got I got that. Uh, the cigar is is real light. Um, barely has any. Uh, it doesn't have any strong flavor to it or anything. It's a nice cigar. Um, this one in particular is a Churchill. Um, it's a large cigar. Uh, real. Um, real light. Uh, flavor is not strong. Goes good with the gentleman Jack. The gentleman Jack. Uh, this is my second time having it, I believe. Um, but I'm sorry about that. That was my uh, one of my alarms going off. But yeah, the gentleman Jack is smooth. Um, yeah, it's real smooth. That's why I like it. It's smooth. It got it got like a. Uh, not a strong aftertaste to it, uh, kind of a a sweeter aftertaste to it. Um, it's a good, it's a good drink, uh, good whiskey. Um, I like this one. Uh, so what else? Uh, yeah. So last episode was uh, still lynching. Um, real good episode. I enjoyed it myself. Uh, got a lot of good feedback from it. Um, and I mean, I know like this year in particular, 2020, um, all the things that have been going on in the world, I've been dealing with a lot of the issues that's going on and uh, particularly uh, issues when it comes to 
um, my people, black people, and it's just it's just a lot going on. But it's interesting how uh, like everything has been kind of rotated toward this. Not to say that it's like I wouldn't necessarily say that my podcast is a mental health podcast, but it's it's centered around mental health. I believe. As I've said plenty of times in the past, I believe that everything starts with with the mental, and you know, mental health is definitely an important thing. So I believe each and every topic that I touch on deals with um, the mental aspect. You know, our our mental health, uh, how we how we think, how we perceive things, and stuff. So. I mean, you know, everything that I I speak about is always kind of centered around that. Even though I talk about, you know, current events and stuff like that, but I look at it like all this stuff is centered around mental health, mental and emotional health. Um, I was going to record last weekend, but I was just out of it. I was tired. Uh, last Saturday, that was the day that I planned on recording, uh, but... The day before that, last Friday, I uh, went on a fishing trip. My first fishing trip with my with my dad, my brother, my two uncles, um, and that was my first fishing trip. First fishing trip with my dad and my brother, and I know me and my brother, we've been trying to get like fishing trips going with my dad for the longest time. So, you know, that was a good experience uh, for me um, to finally get that. Uh, out the way, so to speak. But the trip was real cool, you know, first time fishing. I'm a quick learner, so I picked up everything real quick. Um, caught, a, caught a lot of fish, and it was a good experience just being on the water, just doing something different, um, just to get away. Especially, you know, um, with everything that's going on now, being in quarantine and stuff like that, and being at home most of the time, uh, teleworking and stuff, so the you know the trip was real good. It did it did me good, um, but that next day Saturday I was just out of it. I I really didn't have no energy to record. Take a couple of puffs here. Yeah, but that was a real good fishing trip, um, just overall, just to do something different and, you know, get my ass out the house, because I know I've talked about it uh, in previous episodes, um, uh, particularly the episode uh, Living in Social Distance, where I spoke about how, you know, I'm just always used to being a homebody and being in the house and stuff, just how I've been conditioned in the past and uh, basically, you know, habitual acts, you know, it's just straight habits that, you know, I'm always in the house and stuff. But, excuse me, uh, one of the things that I thought was inter- interesting, though, uh, just in the midst of thinking about all of that and... Uh, the therapy session that I had 
this month. I usually do uh, therapy sessions twice a month, every two weeks. Um, and the, the past couple of therapy sessions that I've had, um, my therapist talked about how um, how I'm kind of in a a social deprivation, so to speak. Um, and based off of the quarantine and, you know, my usual habits. And I spoke about this in previous episodes of how, excuse me, burp number two, <laughs> how before the, uh, the pandemic started and we got in the quarantine, me and my therapist, we was working on um, me, you know, getting out more, uh, getting out of my, my comfort zone and uh, just doing more things on my own and, you know, just getting out of my normal routine, getting out of the house and um, just these past couple of therapy uh, sessions, uh, me and her was just talking about, you know, how she felt that, you know, I was in a social deprivation and how um, how I need to, you know, even though I'm in quarantine, just to connect more with, with people who are doing some of the similar things that I'm doing and uh, just, you know, connecting more with people, like-minded people and stuff like that. Um, and... I was talking to her about how you know I've had I've had opportunities during the quarantine and stuff like that, um, but the social anxiety will always pop up where it will prevent me from. Well, not it will prevent me. I let it prevent me from you know um, connecting with with other people and taking opportunities you know, missing out on opportunities, you know, to connect with other people, other people who have podcasts, other people who's doing stuff in mental health and, or just, you know, uh, regular, normal, just leisure stuff, just, you know, getting out, having fun or just connecting with, uh, like a men's group or stuff like that and how, you know, I got to be careful with, um, because I've talked about it plenty of times of how, you know, I'm used to being alone. I'm used to spending time by myself and stuff like that. But, like, um, particular moments, like, loneliness will creep up into into those those moments, certain moments. And it would be kind of difficult for me mentally and emotionally. So... I thought it was interesting because I, I started having a conversation with someone else about how, you know, the summer is ending and, you know, we're getting closer to fall and winter. And like in the next in the next couple of weeks, a month or so, you know, the times, the light outside is going to be changing and stuff. And, you know, a lot of people ha have to be real careful because, you know, the way things are going, you know, even things are, even though things are lighting up in the world as far as, you know, people being able to go out and do certain things and stuff. But people, it's going to be real tough for a lot of people uh, when it comes to uh, seasonal affective disorder and, you know, not getting 
a lot of sun and stuff and being in the house a lot and things like that. And I've I've dealt with seasonal affective disorder, you know, in the past before. So, you know, I've I have my tools on the things that I do to help prevent that and stuff like um, you know, I don't have to worry about that seasonal depression and stuff. But, you know, it's a lot of people that's gonna uh gonna have a tough time. So, you know, I just wanted to, you know, bring that, you know, bring some attention to that because I know I have to be careful of it. So I know, you know, people who don't have the information or who aren't used to having certain tools and stuff that they just have to be careful about, you know, in the next couple of weeks and month or so that, you know, the time with the time change and uh, the light, the light outside and stuff like that, how to how that's going to affect you mentally and emotionally. So just, you know, I just wanted to point that out and be careful. And I will be doing the episode later on during the fall and winter and stuff about, you know, tools and tips that I've I've used and things that I've learned and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. But just the whole aspect of social deprivation. (laughs) Once my therapist pointed that out, I went and looked it up and everything. and, And, like, it's a real thing, you know, social deprivation and even though this this is a good time for everybody being in quarantine and the uh the pandemic and stuff to you know to deal with <clears throat> deal with yourself and you know uh do some inner work some healing and stuff like that you got to be careful about you know um losing that that social interaction and stuff like that um this is a good thing that you know even though i have you know moments of of loneliness at times or whatever you know I still have a lot of social interaction when it comes to like work and stuff like that and you know I get out you know I go get my hair cut stuff like that I visit my parents and stuff but you know that stuff can creep up on you when you when you're so used to a different a certain type of routine and stuff like that so you know, just pay attention to that. Be careful, you know, reach out to anybody if you need to. Um, <clears throat> because, it, I mean, even during this pandemic, we've had a lot of incidents where um, in the public where, you know, people have committed suicide uh, in 2020. So, you know, just be mindful of that. You know, everybody, you know, check on your friends Check on your family members. If you get a thought of a friend or a family member or anything, just reach out, send a text or whatever. It ain't got to be real deep. You know, just just say what's up, say hello, you know, check on them, see how they doing and stuff. It won't hurt at all. Um, But, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been a, a couple of things going on in the, in the world, of course, we got all the stuff going on with the election, presidential election coming up in November. Um, Joe Biden picking Kamala Harris to be his running mate. Um, you still got Trump doing the shit that he doing. <laughs> uh, 
Um, you got the stuff with the United States Postal Service, all that crap. I mean, it's crazy. And lately what's been coming up is the um, the stuff with uh, Megan Thee Stallion and Tory Lanez. And I just think that this this situation is just, it's just weird to me for the simple fact that you just got a lot of people questioning Meg the Stallion. Um, you know, she says she got shot in both her feet, and you got people out here talking about some. Well, um, how do we know that she got shot? We ain't seen nothing, and all this other stuff. And you know, people on social media, particularly Twitter and stuff like that. Twitter, man. I've got on. I've gotten back on Twitter in the past few months, and Twitter is wild, man. I swear, Twitter is just wild. People just got all types of thoughts and opinions, which is cool because you know, I, I, I'm never mad at anybody having any type of opinion or perspective or anything when it's authentic. But a lot of people do a lot of stuff just for attention and stuff on Twitter to get followers and stuff like that, and. That's just outrageous when it comes to uh, uh, celebrity news and stuff like that. But, yeah, people was questioning Meg if she really got shot and all this other stuff. And people wanting to see evidence. And I know in the uh, past, uh, past few days she released a picture of uh, her wounds and stuff like that. And she was on uh, social media defending herself and stuff like that. And she finally actually named Tory Lanez as the person who shot her. And people coming out talking about some shit snitch and stuff like that. And I'm just like, man, this <laughs> this world is, is, is just crazy when it comes to sn the word snitch. And people just actually don't know the definition of snitch. And Meg is not a snitch. She can't be a snitch if she was a victim of a crime. That doesn't make sense. I mean, the word snitch is is used for people who are involved in the crime and they snitch on the people that they are complicit with in order for them to get off. And Meg didn't do no crime. She was a victim. So she can't be a snitch. And when it comes down to it, people talking about their street code and all this other stuff, there is no, there is no more street code. Like, in today's society, there is no more street code. Because if it was really a street code, people wouldn't be harming kids, women, or elderly. That is part of the original street code. You don't harm kids, women, or the elderly. But you got all these dudes out here talking about they street. And, you know what I'm saying, they a gangster, they all this other stuff. But they the main ones that's going against the street code. So I just think it's unfortunate that, you know, a victim has to go through all of this. But at the same time, you know, that's, that's what happens when it comes to celebrity. When you're a celebrity, you're going to get, like, tons of views from both sides. So, I mean... She got pressured to the point where she had to come out and show her wounds and stuff, and it's just unfortunate. And it's unfortunate because this, this, uh, 
this this situation is just further put put uh, fuel on the fire for the narrative that's been out there that I've noticed for the past uh, couple of years about, you know, black women need to be, be protected and uh, black women are the most disrespected and stuff like that. And it's not, and I'm not the one to say that, you know, that statement isn't wrong, but at the same time, it it irks me because it just continues the infighting between black men and black women. And when it comes down to it, black men are, is getting the, the majority of the blame for anything that goes down with uh, black women. And in my perspective, I feel like it's a collective. We're both the most disrespected and harmed people on this planet, black men and black women. We we basically go through the same things. And because of the things that we go through, we take the things that we go through in society, we take it out on each other. You know, um, granted, you you definitely have black men that abuse black women and, and, and stuff like that. But in terms of society and even our culture, it is definitely a bad thing for a black male to come out and say that a black woman abused him and stuff like that. He looks weak. He's emasculated and stuff like that. So, you know... There's plenty of, I've seen plenty of instances and moments where black men have been abused by their, by a black woman. And it's not to put blame on either or. I feel like we're on the same boat. But this just goes down to what I was talking about on my last episode, Still Lynching. This is how we were programmed. <clears throat> This is how we were programmed based off of the the Willie Lynch syndrome of, you know, black women not having any trust in black men based off of how um, things went during the slave times, black women having to be independent, having an independent mindset and the slavers back then using black women to further push their agenda with keeping the black family apart and having the black man as the enemy, you know, um, but I give all of my well wishes to Meg the Stallion because, um, you know, nobody should be shot by a person that they feel like that they trusted, you know, because I know that she was hanging out with, with uh, Tory Lanez for a while. And then when it comes down to it, we have to stop looking at, like, every black person as being part of the black experience or black culture 
because black Americans have a different experience than other blacks from different countries and stuff. Because Tory Lanez is from Canada, and that's not giving them no excuse or anything like that. But I've seen a lot of stuff on <clears throat> social media where all black men have been generalized based off of Tory Lanez. And just my idea of things of all black people aren't don't ha <clears throat> don't have the same perspective when it comes to the black experience in America. And him being from Canada, being a Canadian and such, he might have a different outlook on how to treat a black woman here. And I know you're probably saying like, well, black men here, black American men do the same thing. And I agree with you, but we can't just always generalize every black person. You know, a black person from Brazil, a black person from um, Africa, a black person from Europe, Canada, anywhere. All black people don't have the same perspective as everybody. Although racism is everywhere when it comes to <laughs> black people, but the... <clears throat> The perspectives and experiences are totally different. It's, I just look at it, this is just my point of view. I just look at the black American experience is, is something totally different here in, the, here in America than it is anywhere else. Because we had to deal with different things when it comes to systematic racism and stuff like that. Um, but that basically goes into what the main topic is for the day, and this episode, <laughs> this episode is, is titled, This Is Not A Trump Endorsement. <laughs> this is not a Trump endorsement. This is not a Trump endorsement. And I know in previous episodes, y'all have heard me say that. I think it's fine to have Trump, Trump as the president because I feel like if he's in office, we will have to confront the BS. <clears throat> Excuse me, burp number three. We will have to confront the BS of this country. And I know a lot of people will disagree with that. But I feel like Trump is a necessary evil. I just feel like he's definitely a necessary evil. I really do. Um, I feel like Trump is not a politician. So Trump has been doing, has been doing and saying exactly what he's been doing and saying. If we deal with a politician, everything is going to be politically correct. Everything is going to be games. Everything is going to be politics, politics. And it's going to be what we want to hear, but it's not what we want to see. But let me go ahead and play a clip before I get into everything.
Bear with me. What, what were you saying? Miss <laughs> Angela D. Miss Lena, you need to channel this passion and frustration into the ballot box. I am tired of voting for the lesser of two evils, Whitley. When did you vote, honey? Yeah. <laughs> Last time we held an election, you were what, all about 14 years old? Be that as it may. Sister, you need to vote. Listen to this man. We need to command the respect of all political parties. Hey, now. That's why I'm a card-carrying member of the Republican Party. Republican? Oh, you know that? Right. Come on. <laughs> use in influencing folks who aren't gonna be in office. Oh. So while y'all are on the Titanic with those Democrats, I'm voting for the winning ticket. Oh. Oh. Right now, oh. People, people, don't listen to this dunderhead. It may make sense in theory, but we're not talking theories. We're talking about life, real life, in the streets, and I was out there living it. <laughs> and that was a clip from A uh, Different World. Um... That's why I love not rushing episodes because I just came across that clip, uh, what was it, two days ago? And I was like, damn, this ties into perfectly in what this conversation is about. And yeah, and I posted it. I used to post uh, a lot on social media. And, and back during the uh, 2016 election, I posted a lot about the lesser two evils and uh, how what W.E.B. Du Bois spoke of about not voting back in the day and how he was talking about the lesser of two evils and stuff like that. And I truly believe in that, man. We just can't vote for the lesser of two evils. We give too much power to people who don't have our best interests at heart. And... Like I'm going to say again, the title of this episode is This Is Not A Trump Endorsement. This is not me saying that I'm voting for Trump. I'm definitely not voting for Trump. But this is also me saying I'm not voting for Biden and Kamala. I, I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm laying out in this episode are my perspective, my feelings, and my opinions on things. You know, we have to, one thing in the black community, we have to allow each other to have our own points of views, our own feelings, our own perspectives on things. And we just don't do that. Um, we will beat each other up for having a different opinion from the quote unquote collective. And that's not right. But let's get into it. So. We have Biden, who recently came out and said that Kamala was going to be his running mate. And I didn't particularly have a good feeling about it because, you know, Kamala Harris, she's labeled herself the quote unquote top cop, the progressive prosecutor. And according to her record, you know, she's definitely the top cop. But she's definitely not a progressive prosecutor. You know, one of the things that killed her presidential campaign was the fact that people, a lot of people didn't see her as being authentic with, you know, her, her message, her, her, her uh, purpose, her point of view, her, her platform. 
and just the research that I've done and the reading that I I, I went through and stuff like that, uh, Kamala Harris definitely is not a progressive. Um, you know, that's the cool thing to say in this in this moment of time to say that you're a progressive, but she's definitely not a progressive. You know, um, she's definitely not an authentic person. I think she definitely plays politics to a certain degree. Uh, I believe she's more of a centrist politician. And for those who don't know what that means, let me pull up the definition. Um, in politics, centrism is a political outlook or specific position that involves acceptance or support of a balance of a degree of social equality and a degree of social hierarchy, while opposing political changes which would result in a significant shift of society strongly to either the left or the right. And I believe that's, that's really what Kamala is to a degree. I believe she's more of a centrist than anything, you know. She won't, she doesn't really have a a platform. She just goes with what's what's popular at the moment. She doesn't really have a platform of her own. She's scared to take risk, I feel. I feel that, you know, she likes to stay more so with the status quo of things. You know, she's definitely a top cop. You know, if you go look at her record, a lot of the things that she she did uh, was on the side of uh, the police and prosecuting people and not really uh, going against the grain when it comes to finding the truth of cases. You know, if you if you look up her record, you will see that, you know, it's she went against a lot of wrongfully accused uh, people, a lot of wrongfully accused cases. Um, she leaned more towards the um, the police side of things. And I feel when it comes to the political aspect, it's hard to trust a person who comes from that background. Uh, because they're more law law minded than anything else, um, you know. They're more on the side of criminal justice, and it's just it's just hard to have trust in her when she comes from that background, and then you have the record of Joe Biden when it comes to the crime bill. And, you know, she, she's just not very authentic. She, she leans more towards, like recently, she's, lean, she's been leaning more towards the trending aspects of what's going on nationally uh, with labeling herself a progressive prosecutor and stuff like that. Um, It's just hard to trust her, like in in my eyes. And I'll go through, you know, several reasons why I feel like, you know, this is a ploy by the Democratic Party and and stuff like that. You know, but like I said, this is just my point of view. 
This is not me saying that I'm endorsing Trump or anything like that. And this is just not me having a full-blown criticism of her because she's a woman or anything like that. But we've been down this road plenty of times with the Democratic Party. And that's, that's one of the reasons why a few years ago that I changed my status to independent. Because you just can't trust the Democratic Party. Because they do a lot of things for identity purpose. They play a lot of identity politic games and stuff like that. Um, but Kamala Harris, yeah, she, she's failed to hold police accountable for misconduct and stuff like that. And like I said, she, she's had chances with, uh, with plenty of cases where she's had wrongfully convicted people behind bars and, you know, she didn't allow them to have no trials and stuff like that. And she could have stepped in and, and demanded certain things, and she she refused to do that, you know. Um, like, one one thing in particular, when I'm talking about how she, she doesn't really, she's not really authentic, and she kind of sticks with the status quo of things, like in 2009... In her book, Smart on Crime, she wrote that if we take a show of hands of those who would like to see more police police officers on the street, mine will shoot up, adding that virtually all law-abiding citizens feel safer when they see officers walking the beat. But earlier, when the stuff happened with George Floyd, you know, she totally flip-flopped. And this was her quote. It is status quo thinking to believe that putting more police on the streets creates more safety. That's wrong. It's just wrong. Like, she plays the politic game. She she doesn't really hold a, a personal platform. She doesn't really have an authentic platform. She just plays the game of what's, what's trending at the moment. But... It seems that she always stays on the side of criminal justice. And when it comes down to it, the only thing that I've been seeing on like social media and stuff like that and people's arguing for her and Biden and stuff like that is that their only excuse or defense for why we should be voting Biden and Kamala is because we can't let Trump win. We got to get Trump out of office. But that's, I mean, what is that? That's, that's not saying anything. That's not, that's not real politics. That's not, what is that doing for us? I mean, because we've been through this before. I mean, this is not the first go round that in my eyes, that we've been through this. I mean, thinking back to when George Bush was in office. I mean, I don't see anything far-fetched from George Bush. But it seems like every time an election comes around, we get into this fear-mongering 
where they say this is the most defining election that we've ever been in. And we keep playing these cliche games and these fear-mongering games of this is a defining moment. We got to get this person out. We got to get this person out and stuff like that. But it's never really any real reasons of why we should be voting for these particular Democrats. You only hear black people talking about we can't let Trump win. We can't let Trump win. We got to get him out of office. We can't do another four years. But nothing tangible behind that. Nothing tangible behind that. And it's like that black people are just, in my eyes, black people are just slaves to the Democratic Party. That's our relationship with them. We're just slaves. We're slaves to the party. They give us a lot of promises and distractions, but they never give us results. Never any results. You know, besides getting Trump out of office, you know, what does the election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris do for black people in America? Nobody has really specifically said what we're going to get out of putting them in the office. Nobody. I haven't heard nothing, but you heard plenty. You heard plenty of times on replays and clips and stuff of when Joe Biden said that you're not black if you don't vote for me. And how can he say that? He's not black. How does he know the black experience? But you know, black people, we fall for that. That domino every time. Nobody has still answered that question. Other than getting Trump out of office. What are we going to get with Biden and Kamala Harris? What are we going to get? You know, a lot of people were talking about how when um, Michelle Obama did her her uh, speech during the Democratic National Convention a couple of days ago. Excuse me. What's that, burp number four? A lot of people was like, the audacity of her to bring up black people being killed by cops under Trump. You know, like black people weren't killed under Barack being in office. The Black Lives Matter movement started while Barack Obama was in office. You know? <laughs> I mean, it really did. It started while he was in office. And when you think about it, this election is going to be similar to 2016. 
Hillary won the popular vote, but Trump still won the electoral college. You know, we keep talking about this, everybody vote, everybody vote, everybody vote, everybody vote. But we forget the fact that the popular vote means nothing. The popular vote means nothing. This happened in 2016 and it happened in 2000 with, with um, what was it? Shit. Dang. Gore and, uh, was it Gore and Bush? Pop, they won the popular vote, but the Electoral College put the Republican in office, you know? So, I mean, I, that's me not saying, I'm not saying that, you know, voting isn't important, but we getting all tied up into voting and stuff, but we forgetting the fact that the Electoral College actually picks the president. You know, this stuff that we learned in, in, in school, and we just got to be ready that, <laughs> you know, things may not happen the way that we want to happen. Shit. Biden and Kamala can win the popular vote, but Trump can win the Electoral College again. <laughs> and a lot of people, you know, were talking about, you know, um, before Biden picked Kamala and stuff like that, you know, Stacey Abrams and, and I believe one other female uh, woman was in contention to be his running mate. But, I mean, I didn't expect Stacey Abrams to get the nod for Biden's running mate because, you know, the Democrats, they like to play identity politics. They, like, they love to play identity politics. And Stacey Abrams doesn't fit the ideal look of a running mate. I mean, let's be real. And this is not to go on her. This is me going on the people and how they perceive her. How they perceive her and how they perceive Kamala. Kamala is the clean cut perception of a politician. Stacey Abrams isn't. You know? You consider Stacey Abrams a, just a straight black woman. You see Kamala, she's of mixed race. And this goes down to similar to Barack, you know? Barack, clean cut, not straight black, light complected. He looks safe and stuff like that. You know, this goes back to my last episode, Still Lynching. And how the Willie Lynch syndrome plays a part in, in everything. You know, they treated the, the look of slaves, different slaves, differently. And go back to that episode and listen to what I was talking about. But I missed the part. Going back to how I feel like this, this uh, what's going to really decide this election. And basically what decided the, the 2016 election was the white women, how white women are going to vote. Um, despite the fact that 
you know, uh, Trump. <laughs> Trump, you we know how Trump is. Trump says all the stuff that he says. He's he's outlandish, outlandish. He's disrespectful. He's a, basically be talking that shit. <laughs> White women voted for him more than they voted for for Hillary. And that's what it's going that's what I feel like this election is going to come down to. It's going to come down to white women. Because you're going to have majority black people voting for the Biden and Kamala side. Uh, Biden's appeal comes down to... um, Biden's appeal comes down to... um, The Obama presidency. You have uh, a lot of people voting for him because they feel like, you know, they're living vicariously through him by... Vicariously through Obama by voting for Biden... Mostly the older generation of of black people, like my parents' generation in their 60s and stuff like that. Uh, And then you'll have majority uh, black women voting for uh, Biden as well because of Kamala Harris. And I'll go deeper into that in a few few minutes uh, because of how they see her and how they feel about Trump. And you have majority of white men voting for Trump. Because of how they feel about him and how they feel about society and how the world has gone and stuff like that. Make America great again and stuff like that. But the election is really going to come down to white women. And I was telling my parents this a couple of days ago early in the week when I was watching the news with them. It's going to come down to white women. It's really going to come down to white women and how they vote. And I feel like white women are going to vote majority for Trump. For one, because they're going to vote more toward what whatever their husbands vote for, the white men. And as well, they're going to resent Kamala getting the nod for vice president being a running mate for Joe Biden. I mean, you already had it where they didn't really vote for Hillary like that, <laughs> you know? So that's what it's going to come down to. And a lot of people are going to be shocked. And the Democrats, they feel like that they're, by them putting Kamala as the vice president pick, that they're going to get the majority black vote. But I also think that's sketchy to a degree because I feel like, you know, a lot of the young black voters, younger than me, I'm 38 years old, a lot of the 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 younger, I don't know what the generations are, younger millennials, younger generation Z, I don't know what the hell it is. But a lot of them were turned off by what happened with when Obama was in office and how he didn't really do anything for the black community and they're going to they're going to wind up just not voting at all you know you know the the identity politics is not really going to work with the younger crowd you know it'll work with the with the older black women and the 
the black women in, in, in my generation, the black women that went to college, went to HBCUs, black women that sent sororities and stuff like that, they're playing identity politics. They're not really giving us anything as far as platforms, as far, as far as strategies, as far as giving us any reparations in the black community, anything like that. They're just playing identity politics. They're playing the Obama game. You know, this is, a, this is what I call the Obama game. They're basically using the same tools that, that they saw won the election for them when Obama ran for president. But that's not a sure thing, you know? It's just not a sure thing. And you think back to the 2016 election when Hillary had her VP pick, who was Tim Kaine, and he was popular among the Democratic National Convention, um, you know, because in Virginia, uh, he had a lot of like, he used a lot of the same strategies that Obama used or whatever when it came to African-Americans and, and immigrants and, and white liberals. But that didn't even help, you know. It just didn't help. But like I said, you know, you'll have majority of college educated uh, black women that's pushing for Kamala because they feel that they have a tie to her based off of identity, solely based off of identity. Because when it comes down to it, Kamala doesn't have any, con she really doesn't have any ties or, or any connections to the black community when you really look up her, her background. She really doesn't. Only that moment when she went to Howard University and she was in the sorority. And that's just a small, I look at that as, this is just my point of view. I look at that just as a, I don't even look at that as a black experience that she had. I look at that as a black perspective. She only got a black perspective. I feel like, you know, all of the, the black women out here pushing for her and feeling as though that they identify with her as, disrespect, as disrespectful to them. I feel like they should feel disrespected by the De Democratic Party, by them, by the Democratic Party using Kamala as a source of identity for a black woman. Because she didn't have to go through the same things that my mother did or any of the black women that I've known or have I had a relationship with. You know, Kamala had it much better than a lot of the black women that I've known. I feel like it's disrespectful. I honestly do. I honestly feel like it's, a, it's, it's disrespectful to sit here and say that Kamala Harris had the same experience as my mom or any other black woman that I've ever come across. I feel like it's a disrespect. And I feel like the black women who are supporting her should feel the same disrespect. And this is just my perspective, but 
black women, and this is and this goes back to my last episode when I was talking about how in the Willie Willie Lynch syndrome, how they use the black woman to push their agenda. And this is the same thing that the Democrat Party is doing right now. This is exactly what they are doing. They are using the identity, the so-called identity of a black woman to push their agenda. Because black women move, can push the vote of the Democratic Party. They know that black women in, in the black community, they know black women, black women right now are the staple of, of everything. Black women are more in control right now. They have more businesses. They are more, quote unquote, the head of the households when it comes to income and stuff like that. So black women can push the vote of the black community on the Democratic side. And they're using black women for this. They're using them. I feel like it's a disrespect to black to black women. I really do. <laughs> and I feel like if people, if black women remove themselves from their egos and their prize and their hatred for Trump, they will see this. They will see that the Democratic Party is using them. They're using them to push their agenda. This is identity politics. Kamala, this is disrespect. This is disrespect. I'm sorry. This is disrespect. I, I really, I truly feel that way. Kamala Harris, just because she went to Howard, just because she was in a, a, soror, a black sorority, does not give her the black experience. It gives her a black perspective. It gives her a perspective of things. When you go look at Kamala's background, she identifies more with her Indian side of her ethnicity. She really does. She identifies more with the Indian side of her ethnicity. They are using black women to push Biden and Kamala into office. That's just the case for me. I'm sorry. I mean, you can disagree with me, but that's, that's really how I feel. Really how I feel. Like, they playing, like if you watch CNN and stuff, they will go back and forth from, from talking about her being on the African-American side to the Indian-American side. Back when she was running for uh, attorney general in San Francisco, you can look up these headlines. They said that they was talking about how she was the first Indian American. But now they're talking about the first African American. But then they'll flip-flop and go back to the Indian American. It's, it's just, they're just playing games with us. They're using identity politics. And it had me sitting there thinking, like, um, it really had me sitting there thinking, it's like doing, 
when I was doing research of her background and stuff like that, I came across how us as uh us as a society and mainly the black community, we're too entrenched into the one drop rule. And if anybody don't know what the one drop rule is, let me uh, pull it up. All right, one drop rule, one drop rule. It says the centuries old one drop rule assigning minority status to mixed race individuals appears to live on in our modern day perception and and categorization of people like Barack Obama, Tiger Woods, and Halle Berry. Excuse me, burp number five. Harvard University psychologists who found that we still tend to see biracials not as equal members of both parent groups, but as belonging more to their minority parent group. The research appears in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Uh, Many commentators have argued that the election of Barack Obama and the increasing number of mixed-race people more broadly will lead to a fundamental change in American race relations. Um, Our work challenges the interpretation of our first biracial president and the growing number of mixed-race people in general as as signaling a colorblind America. In the United States, the one-drop rule, also known as hypo-descendant dates to a 1662 Virginia law on the treatment of mixed-race individuals. The legal notion of hypo-descendant has been upheld as recently as 1985 when a Louisiana court ruled that a woman with a black great-great-great-great-great-grandmother could not identify herself as white on her passport. One of the remarkable things about our research on hypo-descendant is what it tells us about the hierarchical nature of race relations in the United States. Hypo-descendant against blacks remains a relatively relatively powerful force within American society. And basically what they're saying is that in society, we're still stuck on the fact that anybody who has just one drop of black blood in them is considered black. And I feel like when it comes down to uh, society and just black, the black community in general, we fall victim to that one drop rule. We fall victim to everybody who has just that one drop of black blood in them that they're black. That's how society and the black community perceives them. But do they perceive themselves and do they live their life as such. And we have to question that. And that goes back to me talking about Kamala Harris. She mostly, if you check her background, she mostly identifies as an Indian American. And this takes away from who she's married to and everything. If you go check her background, you'll see how she lives her life, how she has lived her life. 
she identifies more with Indian American than she does quote unquote African American or black American. And we have examples of this. We have in what I read that had the mention of Tiger Woods. What happened when Tiger Woods won the his first masters and how he came out and he was talking about he's calm Malaysian. You know, a lot of black people who are of mixed race don't even identify themselves as being black. They do it when it's trendy, but when it's a problem, they revert back to the other side. So we have to be careful in the black community with accepting everybody as being black because they could be doing it for the trendy aspect or to use it in a way to have our support, but they don't necessarily identify with that. It's funny because a couple of days ago, I was watching the Yusef Hawkins documentary that came on HBO. Real good documentary. You should check it out. Yusef Hawkins, just look it up. Um, Yusef Hawkins was murdered by uh, a, a white, an Italian male uh, when he went down to a certain part of New York. And him and his friends were uh, jumped in a, in a, what's the right word for it? They were jumped in, I can't think of the word, dang. But they was basically jumped by some white males. And Yusuf Hawkins was killed by one male in particular. In this, this certain part of town of New York, and that part of town was particularly a predominantly white town. And during the documentary, it was only one black boy that lived in, in that town at that particular time. And he was talking about the incident, and he was talking about how, you know, he knew he was the only black person in the, in the town and everything, and how... He had an identity crisis. He wanted to be white, you know. He didn't see himself as being black. And when all that stuff went down, it was just like it was nothing to him. And this goes to everything that I'm saying. We have to be careful with embracing everybody who who comes in and say that they're they're black or they are part of the black experience or the black culture because it's always convenient for people to embrace black culture when it's trending. And we've seen this plenty of times when it comes to, to music with white artists and stuff like that. You know, it's always convenient to embrace the black culture. Um, example, Justin Bieber, Eminem and stuff like that. When the black culture embraces you and such like that, and you know, they accept that embrace, but when it when things go bad for them or, or or something like that, it's easy for them to revert back to what they know. And Kamala Harris has no ties to the black community, and I'm not saying this to to like get down on her to overly criticize her, but I'm just my whole point about this is to not let the Democratic Party play us 
with these politics. We can't let them use identity to sway us to get votes and we're not getting any tangible results from anything. You know, it, it just can't, it can't work that way. You know, we got to get out of that. We have to get out of that. It's just, it's just sad that we, we keep getting caught up into that. But let me play a clip real, real quick. It's a clip that I ran across today and I thought it was relevant to what's everything that's going on to, to what I'm talking about. So let me pull this clip up. All right. And this clip is a clip I ran across with Ice Cube today. So let me play it. So over the last four days, the Democratic National Party held a convention. A lot of people, you know what I mean, getting up there and talking and, you know, everybody really, you know, eating it up, you know, throwing their hands in the air like they just don't care damn near. So it's, it's uh, you know, what I didn't hear is what's in it for us? What's in it for the black community besides the same old thing we've been getting? from these um, parties. What's in it for us, for real? You know, um, I didn't hear anybody mention a contract with Black America. And I don't know why, because it's one of the most comprehensive um, reform uh, documents that's come about in a long time that can really address the problem. The way it look, they don't have a plan. Everybody's, you know, talking about get Trump out, get Trump out, get Trump out. If you vote, that, that's going to happen in, on the first day. So now what? Trump out, now what? What? What do we get in the first hundred days? That's what we're trying to figure out. What do we actually get that we that they could give us overnight like that? They just pulled three trillion dollars out their ass and gave it to their friends. That's American taxpayer money. That's your money. That they just gave away. And then there's half 42 percent of black businesses closing. None of that money. Where's the. Where's our fucking bailout? Where's the bailout? Not the PPP loan that they that they didn't give us. Where's the bailout? I don't want to hear about deficit. I don't want to hear about uh, what our our generations gonna have to pay. Because if we don't have shit, they ain't gonna have shit anyway to pay nothing. So we gotta start something right now. Democrats don't seem like they got a plan. Republicans don't seem like they got a plan for us. So how the hell are you going to vote for them? Make them, make them earn that vote. They can start today. They ain't got it yet. They can start today. Make their ass earn that vote, man. Stop playing with these people. And they'll stop playing with you.
And that was Ice Cube. And that's a clip that I ran across today. Oh, man. It's just, this shit is just frustrating. I'm going to just be honest. This shit is frustrating. And I see people just clamoring and just running and, and jumping. Oh, Lord, Kamala. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Man, we got to stop this shit, man. I mean, seriously. Excuse my language. We got to stop this shit. We just... We just give them our votes easily, man. We just we just give it up. You know what I'm saying? We bust it wide open for them. We just it's just no no type of no type of fight or nothing. We just bust it wide open for them. Bust it wide open. It's sad because when it comes to the black community, we put all our energy into politics instead of building our wealth we need to start using our economic power and we don't use our economic power we are so concerned about politics and we don't use our economic power you got all these these celebrities out here and stuff like that and you know how we just love to fall over these celebrities and follow them and stuff we'll follow behind them and they'd be told some of these celebrities and rappers and stuff like that be talking about the stupidest ass, stupid ass shit ever. Spending the money, the Birkin bags, the Gucci, Louis, all that dumb shit. And we just follow behind that dumb shit, man. Seriously, we fall behind that dumb shit. And we continue out infighting and all that other stuff. We just, we just so, we just so caught up and we just so caught up in to mental slavery. We we are slaves to we are slave to politics. We're slaves to material things. We're slaves to the love of money. We are, we slaves to the love of celebrity, the love of status. You know, it's it's crazy. Uh, it's frustrating. And one thing that I definitely forgot to mention was like recently uh Trump came out and said he was going to pardon Susan B. Anthony. And that definitely was strategic. Excuse me, that's burp number six. That was definitely strategic for the simple fact that him pardoning Susan B. Anthony like that was for the white woman vote. Trump ain't no fool. He did that for the white woman vote. And I feel like we, we the black community, we, it's just insanity. It is straight insanity. Like that's the definition of insanity that we keep going around in circles and circles with the Democrat Party doing the same thing over and over again. And they not giving us any tangible results. And my thing is like. We have the power. If if everybody if everybody in the black community came together and said we not voting for the Republican or Democratic Party, we gonna vote for the Green Party. Has anybody like you look at the celebrities since since I talked about the celebrities and how we just just drool and and fall over for celebrities and everything that they say? Has any of the celebrities came out and endorsed? The Green Party, you know the Green Party. They have a vice president that's a black, a black woman. 
a black woman of the black experience that you can consider having a black experience of the black culture. Her name is Angela Walker. Look her up. Angela Walker. She describes herself as an independent socialist and also describes herself as Fred Hampton, a Sada Shakur socialist. She's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and she's on the uh, Howie Hawkins ticket. Has anybody mentioned her? Has anybody mentioned the Green Party ticket, Howie Hawkins or Angela Walker? No. I mean, we just always jumping toward the Democratic Party. I mean, do people realize that back in the day that the black community back in like the 19th century and stuff that the black community was pro-Republican? Do do I don't even I don't I will bet money on it that the majority of black people didn't even know that that the black community back in the 19th century was pro-Republican. This is, this shit is sad. It's like we're just running in circles and circles. We're not going to get anything until we stop this infighting. We use our economic power and we stop busting it open for the Democratic Party. And like I said, this is not a Trump endorsement, but we have to hold people accountable we have to hold these people accountable. This is just like when Obama was in office. He didn't do nothing for the black community, but who did, what community did he do something for? The LGBT community. And that's the appeal that they trying to use Kamala for. Black women, immigrants, LGBTQ. And that's the community that they trying to use her appeal for. Kamala Harris... We can't trust her. We can't trust Biden. Their records have showed we can't trust them. They are playing politics. We know what we're getting for Trump. We know what we're getting from him. We absolutely know what we're getting from him. I just feel like Trump is necessary evil. Because the more and more we get from Trump, the more and more that we will have to face ourselves in the mirror. The country have to face themselves and we have to face ourselves and we have to fight for what we are worth. But we'll jump right into, into Biden and Kamala. We're going to start feeling comfortable again. We're going to think that we have a victory. The black community is going to think that we have a victory because we got Trump out of office. Because that's, all, that's the only thing that they spewing out there. That's the only thing that they spewing out there. They are playing us. But like I said, this is just my view. I know everybody not going to agree with it. Some people are going to be stuck into their egos and the identity politics of everything. This is not me speaking against black women. I feel like this is a disrespect to black women to use Kamala as a, a, a springboard to getting our vote. I really do. But, you know, what can you do? I end every episode with a song. And I know my energy wasn't the same as usual. Like I said, I'm I'm tired. I'm tired. (laughs) 
Like, I, it was hard to get any energy from the, from talking about this stuff because I'm just like, I, I had to go back and forth with, even if I was going to do this episode because I, because I've seen so many people, people that I'm cool with and stuff that is just so into like bigging up Kamala and stuff like that. And I'm like, dang, these people ain't going to like, like to hear what I got to say, but I don't know. <laughs> I I just had to go through it because, you know, everybody not going to agree with me. And it just is what it is. Dang. But I don't know. Uh, I'm a loss for I'm lost for words right now. Just thinking about all of this. Uh, but you know, we'll see what happens in November. And 2020 has been a year where a lot of things have been coming out and things have been revealed and, you know, we'll just see what happens. We'll honestly see what happens. But the way that I look at it, we're going to be good. I just, the way that I look at it, I feel like we're going to be good regardless because, um, Everything that's been going on this year has been a year of revelations where we had to pick ourselves up and to fight, you know, and I feel like that it'll continue to be that way. But we really have to continue with keeping our our foot on people's necks and stuff like that, you know. But I just, I'm trying to regain hope into things changing. You know, I talked about on the last on the last episode, still mentioned how I felt like I was losing hope and, and things changing and for, for me to see in my lifetime, you know, but it is what it is. <laughs> you know, what can, you know, all I can do is, 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 is what I'm doing right now, speaking my opinions, my truths, my perspectives on things, you know. I really had hope when Obama was in the office and stuff like that, but it didn't it didn't work out that way, you know. So we just have to see. We just have to see. Yeah, but I guess that's time to end the show because my lighter is running out of fluid. I can't light my relight my cigar. But I'm in the episode here. Uh yeah, excuse the the lack of energy. <laughs> excuse the lack of energy. But it's going to be picked up soon. It's going to be picked up next episode. Uh, but, yeah, I appreciate everybody for listening, uh, supporting me, commenting, hitting me up, telling me how they feel about the episodes. And, you know, even if you don't agree with me, you know, hit me up still, you know what I'm saying? Because I... I'm open-minded with anything, anything that you can bring light to me, I'm open-minded with it. You know, I'm just speaking how I feel, but I appreciate everybody. I appreciate all the listeners, all the people that are listening. You know, um, what's crazy is I, I, the last episode, I was hit up by a few people that 
I didn't even I didn't even know was listening. They told me they they listened to the show and stuff like that. So I appreciate them. I appreciate everybody who's listening. Um, you can catch me on Instagram, a taste to consider podcast, uh, greatest.i.am.blog. Um, yeah, I'm out there. Um, let me see what song am I going in with this episode? I think I already had one ready. Yeah, this, this song right here is Tupac, of course. (laughs) Tupac and the Outlaws, Letter to the President. One of my favorite pop songs.
what to do These niggas acting up in the hood Same old truth Tupac, the Outlaws, Letter to the President. Yeah, man. And that's another thing, too, though, I forgot to mention. You know, there's no mention of reparations for black Americans when it comes to the Democratic Party or Biden and Kamala. Um, It was an interview that she did where she was like, her tone of voice and the (laughs) the way that she said, she was just like, Damn, I forgot to to pick that clip up. Damn. But yeah, she was just like totally against like every, you know, having, doing things just for black people or whatever. And it's just, this is what I'm talking about, man. We, man, we got to get out of this, man. We got to stop doing this shit. This is insanity that we doing. Keep going back and forth with these Democrats like this and they just playing us for a fool because they know we going to vote for them. So they just keep doing the same old bullshit, identity politics, and giving us the same old promises and stuff like that, but not giving us any tangible results. But they the main ones putting us in jail, 
back in the day, the main ones with the racist presidents, the main ones that supporting the KKK and stuff like that. Like, we got to stop. We got to stop this shit, man. This shit is, is retarded. <laughs> I, I apologize for using that word. I apologize for using that word. That was the wrong word to use. Which y'all understand where I'm coming from. I apologize for using that word, though. Yeah. This is just, this is insanity. Straight insanity. That we keep keep doing this with the Democrats. We got to hold these people accountable. We got to hold these politicians accountable. But you can catch me on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, Stitcher. I ain't record this for YouTube. I'll do it eventually. I don't know, man. I just don't be... <laughs> it's just it's just a lot of work doing all that, setting up the camera and stuff like that. I need an assistant or something. <laughs> um, but, yeah. I appreciate the support. Uh, like, share, comment. And if y'all want me to talk about a certain topic, send it in or whatever, you know. I don't have no problem with that. Um, we coming up to the end of August. Like I said, everybody be uh, uh, careful with their mental health, their emotional health. Check on your family and friends. Um, Just keep an open mind to things. All right. I love y'all. Peace.